the National Archives podcast series, Yapton, Sussex Parish Seen Through the Census and Parish Records, presented by Dr. Tony Wakeford. I'm very fortunate to have some helpful graffiti in the parish that I've looked at. So the talk this afternoon is about Yapton, the Sussex Parish, seen through the census and the parish records. And what I'm going to do for the next probably 45 minutes or so is to give you just a general outline of the parish and also how we can reinterpret records in a slightly different way to give us a better understanding of the communities of the past. So, the underlying theme for the talk, themes for the talk this afternoon, are essentially local and family history. However, this is not specifically a local history talk about Yapton, rather it is about the use of documents to highlight how the nature and character of a population can be identified. More specific detail of the history of the parish can be found in the Victoria County History, Volume 5, Part 1, and also a very useful publication by the Yapton and Ford Local History Group entitled Yapton and Ford Through the Ages. I should say at the outset that I'm very grateful to the County Archivist for West Sussex for his kind permission to make use of various images of documents held at the record office at Chichester and I shall identify these images as we progress. Before we go any further, I'm going to take the pressure off me and put it straight back onto you and ask you a question. How many of you are still currently living in the parish where you were born? And for the benefit of the audience who will pick this podcast up at a later date, I can say from the 300 people here, <laughs> nobody is currently living in the parish where they were born. And that's interesting, and I'll, as you will see, I'll come back to that at the end of the talk. Okay. Reconstructing communities of the past is an interesting and fascinating project. Indeed, it is vital to our understanding of the past and discovering the ways in which people lived and how they interacted and were organised. There are several methods of research by which we can discover this level of detail in the day-to-day -day life of communities. Our forebears shaped and were shaped by the landscape. W.G. Hoskins, in his seminal work, The Making of the English Landscape, discusses how population and landscape were shaped and reshaped communities and their environs interacting one upon the other. Studies of the landscape, its geographical features, communication networks and vernacular buildings, amongst other things, help to provide an understanding of the setting in which the lives of our ancestors were interacted within each community. This is a very rich source from which to draw upon. From the quiet rural village, an open agricultural expanse, to the condensed hustle and bustle of urban areas and industry, 
each provides a unique reference point for how life was ordered, from the physical to the social, that can be examined and interpreted today in so many different ways. As this talk unfolds, we shall see a very obvious example of a changing landscape. Furthermore, that which we can now no longer see can be discovered through archaeology and various diverse techniques that help to uh, increase our understanding of the past. However, the focus for this talk is upon something quite different, yet intrinsically related, something I shall refer to as the documentscape, and specifically the documentscape of a parish. Whilst the landscape provides the structural influence within which our ancestors lived, the documentscape provides the evidence to help us understand how this was achieved. Our ancestors, those past communities, left a very significant document trail. It may now be incomplete, fragmented, or even no longer exist in some cases. And yet it provides us with a vital source for historical interpretation. Documents were created as a means of information, regulation, order, and control. In the parish context, this could be, for example, documents related to taxation, church registers, poor law union, assize, vestry, or manorial purposes. The extent to which such material has survived is quite remarkable. It may only represent a fraction of all the documents created, a bewildering array of manuscripts, reports, ledgers, registers, letters, maps, drawings, pictorial representations, and the like. But it is considerable, despite the ravages of time, weeding, fire, poor storage conditions, and every other unimaginable archival danger that would be best not to dwell on here. On that thought, we move quickly on. I've selected two types of document for this talk, the parish register and the marriage register in particular, and the decennial census returns to illustrate and highlight what they can tell us about particular communities beyond the names and events recorded. I've chosen these two records because they're probably the most familiar to those starting out on family history research. The quest is to find a name, an event, and indeed, in some cases, that is at the end of the process. Yet these documents can also reveal something of the demographic nature and character of the community in which our ancestors lived. For example, age profile, employment, mortality, family size, marriage, and migration, to name but a few. To illustrate this, I've chosen the small rural parish of Yapton in West Sussex. Um, there is much to highlight, but I shall concentrate on migration and the origins of the parish population. 
Hence my original question to you at the beginning of the talk. The parish provides a useful snapshot of a manageable size for, the, for our purposes today to illustrate the points that I should like to highlight. I shall first outline a very brief history of the parish register and the census before we embark for Yapton and a whistle-stop pictorial tour of the parish before we then look at some of the documents related to the parish and get a feel for the nature of its population. The origins of the parish register can be traced back to 1535 when it was first introduced by Sir Thomas Cromwell during the reign of Henry VIII. It was initially abandoned because of opposition, but this was overcome and registers were permanently set in law during 1538. Yapton's registers indeed do date from 1538. By 1597, it was required that all registers be copied and sent to the bishop's registry on an annual basis. And so began the system that we know today of bishop's transcripts. Under Charles I, it became a requirement to record dates of birth and baptism, death and burial. Lined and numbered registered books were introduced in 1711. That was under Queen Anne, and by 1735, Latin gave way to English for the completion of all registers. In 1752, the new calendar came into use, and in the following year, Hardwick's Marriage Act introduced standard printed books for bans, marriages, and witnesses. The first census was introduced in 1801 and was merely a headcount of each parish and the number of those engaged in agricultural and petty trades and crafts. In 1812, under George III, Rose's Act introduced a system of uniform marriage registers and baptism and death registers in a standard style and format. The registers became the responsibility of the Registrar-General and this developed into civil registration from 1837. Meanwhile, the censuses had become a 10-year event and by 1841, that particular census was the first to include people individually by name and also their county of birth. By 1851, a greater level of detail was included to involve the individual's relationship to the head of household and also to their parish of birth. Other changes occurred with each successive census, although the basic structure essentially remained the same up to 1901. And so, the parish itself. This is a, as you can tell, a a modern image of this part of Sussex. You've got Little Hampton here, and Bognor Ridge is down in the bottom left-hand corner. And the extent of the parish is shown in the darker shade pink. 
the lighter shade, shaded area there, relates to a boundary change that was made in the 1930s, and it is one of many changes that occurred at that time. But essentially, what the talk is about today is the parish that's shown in the darker shade. Our next image looks at Yapton in 1875. Essentially, the main part of the village is centred here. There is a small hamlet of Bilsham to the south. And the railway line, the London Brighton South Coast Railway line, runs along the top of the parish. And through the centre of the parish is the Portsmouth and Arundel Canal. And on this last modern image, you get a better sense of how it is today. But essentially, the parish is very much a rural and agricultural area, despite the quite significant 20th century building developments that have taken place. The parish is situated roughly two miles from the sea between Arundel and Chittister, covering an approximate area of 1,740 acres. It is one of 54 parishes on the Sussex coastal plain, and that is the area that is south of the South Downs, extending in the east at the modern-day boundary between West Sussex and Brighton and Hove City, and in the west with Hampshire at Emsworth. Yapton is surrounded by seven neighbouring or contiguous parishes, with detached areas within the parish belonging to two of the neighbouring parishes. One is Barnum and the other is Wolverton. However, during the 19th century, late 19th century, those detached areas were subsumed into the parish of Yapton by various pieces of legislation. Yapton was, and remains, very much an agricultural parish. It is flat, rich, and very fertile. Market gardening was developed significantly during the 19th century. There were five major farms in the parish in the 1840s and two market gardens by the 1850s. The Portsmouth and Arundel Canal between Ford and Chittister, part of the Arran, part of the Way and Arran Junction Canal Company, opened in 1823, and as I showed you earlier, passed straight through the middle of the parish. However, it was claimed in Pickett's Directory for 1839 that the canal didn't have a lot of advantage for the parish because there weren't any wharf facilities. Today, there are few surviving signs. The most obvious and most surprising is at the end of a residential street. And here, clearly, we have the old canal with, with the canal bridge, and it is at the end of a residential road. And if you don't know it's there, you come round the corner, is quite a surprise to see it. But it is in good and pristine condition and there is only one other very small fragment remaining elsewhere in the parish. 
but this is quite, quite substantial. It is quite a feature to be living next to. The main route by road from Climping through to Chidester passes through the centre of the parish and there is another north from Ford to Barnham. The latter being very old and has been used over many centuries to the extent that the level of the road is now much lower than the fields that it, it adjoins. So it is a much older route than the more major route in the middle of the middle of the parish. There was a railway station at, Fall, at uh, Yapton which was con very conveniently placed a mile outside of the village. And it was on the boundary between the parishes of Binstead and Walberton. It opened in 1846 but was closed temporarily between 1848 and 49 due to the financial constraints of the London Brighton South Coast Railway. And here we have a picture of the old station buildings taken in 2003. Uh, in much happier times as you will shortly see. You may have already noticed some of the pictures I've shown you that the sky is always blue and that is always the case in Yapton. If we look east from the railway line crossing you can just see towards the end of the line there is some agricultural land to, to the right and essentially nothing here has changed. When the railway came through in the 1840s it crossed agricultural land and that is exactly how it is today. Here we look west towards Barnham very much the same again except that unfortunately the railway station and the old building has been the victim of fire and is now in quite a sorry and dilapidated state. The railway dealt a mortal blow to the canal and commercial traffic between Ford and Chittister stopped in 1847. A steady financial decline followed leading to the company going into voluntary liquidation and subsequently closing in 1888. Elsewhere in the parish, from the early 1860s, John Sparks set up an agricultural engineering business that flourished and was employing 30 men and 7 boys by the 1870s. Another key feature of the parish is St Mary's Church. St Mary's Church dates from the 1200s. I should point out that the angle of the tower has nothing to do with the picture having been taken after a hearty lunch. It was in fact leaning 500 years before I got to take this particular picture. But it's a lovely fine building and has some very interesting features about it. Here is the main entrance porch and the interior of the church where many events that I'm going to be talking about would have taken place and finally from the church back out to the wider world or indeed just the graveyard. I hope I won't offend anybody by saying that Yapton is not a particularly picturesque parish. 
and nowadays is dominated by modern development. There are 20 Grade II listed buildings, but most of these are dwellings, and it would be inappropriate to show pictures of people's houses here today. However, in the County Record Office at Chittister, there are some older images of, of the parish. And the first of these was taken very early in the, in the 20th century, and you can just see St Mary's Church and Church Lane out at the end there. A lot of that has changed. You wouldn't recognise it if you were to visit this particular part of the parish today. Our second image is fairly modern, if only because of the because of the motor car that gives the game away. So this is probably 1950s or, or thereabouts. Again, it seems like a timeless scene where some things have changed, but not in this particular part a great deal. And finally, the sketch that I found in the county record office at Chittister, taken in, in the 1940s, somebody has drawn a, a picture of the old canal bed passing through the parish. And so, the parish registers themselves, and the period I've taken is between 1700 and 1900, just to give us um, an, an easy period to work with, and for the last 100 years, can link it up to the census as well. The first example I want to take of parish register is that for 1754 to 1812. It's a lovely vellum-bound book. I particularly like the inscription on the front. The inscription here clearly is not on the register itself. That is the county record office reference that I've put on. The sample pages that I'm going to show you record the marriages for 1798 and 1799. In each of the marriages, the brides are all local, whilst the grooms are all from outside of the parish. Two are from neighbouring parishes, Climping and Felpham, and five are from other relatively nearby Sussex parishes on the coastal plain, Aldingbourne, Arundel, Chittister, Littlehampton and Old Shoreham, while Sullington is the furthest away in western Sussex beyond the South Downs. If we take this one for example, John Mitchell of Climping is a bachelor, marries Sarah Sanford who's uh, a spinster of this parish. And by taking the details of where people are from, you can begin to build up a picture of the kind of character and nature of the population. Our second example is from the register from 1813 to 1834. And the sample page that I've chosen is covering the marriages between 1824 and 1825. In each of the cases here, all the marriages are local all the brides and grooms residing in the parish. It is also interesting to note in this example the extent of literacy and the number of people who have made their mark in the register rather than signing it. So again, you can use documents like this to see the extent to which people can read and write. 
So, by noting the residential information of each bride and groom, the extent of external connections and origins can be identified. Between 1700 and 1900, there were 633 marriages in the parish. This is not a complete record, and there are some gaps between 1738 and 1745. In the early 1700s, the parish was rather quiet on the marriage front, with only a couple of marriages a year, sometimes more, and occasionally none at all. The parish was united with the Walperton Parish between 1753 and 1875, and then with Ford. So some of the marriage marriages for Yapton may have occurred in either Ford or Warburton. Indeed, in the 200-year period we're looking at, there is only one marriage, and that was in 1721, when the bride and groom were not from Yapton. Marriages began to increase in the 18th century, and towards its end, there were two bursts of passion the first was in 1786 and then again in 1799 when there were eight marriages in the year. And this particular graph shows in 10-year blocks the number of marriages that took place. The blue column indicates the number of marriages that were local or people were from the neighbouring parish so here it could be somebody born in um, somebody born in Yapton marrying somebody who was living in the next parish, which might have been Barnum, for example. And the orange tops indicate those marriages in that period of time when marriages occurred with people who were outside of the parish. So the blue represents very much local marriages. The orange represents somebody local who married somebody from else, elsewhere. Although the number of marriages continued to increase during the 19th century, there were still some years where there were either one or no marriages at all. There were two periods when an influx of workers from elsewhere would have occurred. The first was in the early 1820s, when the navvies and the labourers were constructing the Arran and Way Canal. And the second was in the 1840s, when the Brighton and Chichester Railway Company were constructing the line from Limister through to Chichester. In neither period was there any appreciable change in the number of marriages. In fact, the marriages tended to decline during these periods. So this diagram gives you a pictorial sense of the number of marriages in 10-year blocks between the two periods, 1700 and 1900, and the dip in the early 1700s reflects the gaps in the records that I've previously mentioned. In the research period, the first marriage involving a non-Sussex person occurred in 1727, a groom from Hampshire. And there are another two marriages with grooms from Hampshire and London in that century. By the 1870s, 
the number from outside of Sussex had increased considerably. And overall, during the 19th century, there were 30 marriages involving people from Hampshire, Lancashire, London, Surrey, Yorkshire and Ireland. The greatest connection, though, was with Hampshire, where a third of all those external marriages were from that particular county. And this particular image just turns things into percentages so that you can see that in some of the 10-year periods it was 100% local. But gradually, as we move towards 1900, so the influence of people moving, coming into the parish, increased considerably to the point where it reaches nearly 20%. And the final image looking at marriages just breaks it down as to how many marriages actually occurred. So we've got so 447 were purely local, Yapton. 41 were people from involving people from other parishes neighbouring to Yapton. 89 came from elsewhere on the Sussex coastal plain. 27 from wider Sussex area and 29 who came from places outside of, of Sussex, other counties. So you can see very much that still by the 1900s, when you look back over that period, still local marriages was very, very dominant. So we'll have a look now at the census and see how we can tie the two records up together. However, a little bit of local and national context first I think would be useful. Between 1801 and 1901, the population of England and Wales grew from 8.8 .8 million to 32.5. This steady growth was reflected in the increase in annual increments of about 250,000 in the 1830s to around 400,000 by the 1890s. During the overall period, the annual percentage growth rate was about 1.3%. The general picture that emerges is one where the greatest growth occurs, but with variations, in more urban and industrial settings, whilst rural areas went into decline. One aspect of growth was the increasing density of urban settlement, and by 1851, it was calculated that over 50% of the population lived in an urban area. At the 1801 census, 66% of the population lived in rural areas, and this decreased to 22% by the 1901 census. So not only have you got population growth, but embedded in there is population movement as well. Against this background of growth, the national birth rate fell from 36 per thousand in the 1830s to approximately 30 per thousand between 1890 and 1901. The annual mortality rate fell from 23 per thousand in the 1860s to 19 per thousand by 1888. Whilst improvements in diet and living conditions contributed to a higher life expectancy. 
Despite the declining national birth rate, it still exceeded the national mortality rate and with increasing life expectancy, contributed towards the steady growth of the population. However, overseas migration had a significant influence on population growth and between 0.04 and 0.20% of the population migrated overseas from England and Wales. Between 1815 and 1914, it is estimated that 10 million people emigrated from England and Wales. This was offset to an extent by an influx from Ireland in the 1840s and significant levels of European immigration to cities and London in particular. The complexities of the national demographic changes provide some useful context for the consideration of the Sussex coastal plain population and to Yapton in particular. We'll now look at some examples from the census returns and I'm going to look at those for 1841, 71 and 1901 to illustrate the information available and the extent of the diverse origins of the parish population. My first example is the 1841 census. And it is typical of a rural community. Everyone here is recorded as born in Sussex by this column, the county of birth, residing in the county of birth, every one of these is yes. At this stage you have names, male or female, and age and occupation. At this particular census, the population was just over 500. However, only 15 of that 500 are recorded as being born other than in Sussex. Our second example from the 1871 census, you can see, is a lot more detailed. This first page, and I'm going to show you two, reveals a much more diverse range of origins. Parishes of birth were added in the 1851 census, so we now have a more detailed account of population origins. Yapton-born and those from neighbouring parishes account for nearly 50% here, but there are people born in Hampshire, Devon and Kent too. So is quite a widespread mix. So we've got Devon here, got Hampshire down the bottom, but still quite a predominant number of people who are local. The second example records that the local born are more than 50%, but with Hampshire and Norfolk still well represented. And if you note halfway down, John Sparks, born in Norfolk, and his agricultural machinery business. Our third example is from the 1901 census and reveals that 75% are Yapton-born, indicating the extent to which the local-born and enumerated still dominate that particular population. Here we have three born in Hampshire, 
and five from other Sussex parishes. And our final example from the 1901 census shows greater diversity with 10 born in other English counties, which include Buckinghamshire, Hampshire, Kent, Middlesex, and Northamptonshire. And there are only five that were born in Yapton. So the parish population in the early 1700s was around about 200. The population at the first decennial census in 1801 was 543. And up to 1871, this varied in size with alternate growth and decline every 10 years. From 1891 onwards, there is a consistent level of growth. And by 1901, the population had reached 715 and increased further to 751 by the time of the 1911 census. However, of greater interest is not so much the size of the population, but the composition of it and where these people came from to make up the community of Yapton. And it is an opportunity also to link the findings here with what we've got with the marriage registers. And so this next diagram gives you a sense of the origins of this very quiet rural parish. So the green represents the people who were born in Yapton and enumerated in Yapton at each census. The red indicates the number of people who were born elsewhere beyond Sussex but were enumerated in Yapton at each census. And the top line, the blue line, which includes people born in Yapton, is the number of people who were born in Sussex, wherever that might have been, but were enumerated in Yapton at each census. So what you get to see here is a very clear trend in as much as people are moving about, people are on the move. And the red shows that as the century wore on, so the population of the parish was made up from people who were from elsewhere. And by the end of the period, we can determine that there's about 58% of the population were either from elsewhere or from Sussex. The proportion of those born outside of Sussex had risen, risen consistently from about 3% at the 1841 census through to 26% by 1911. Although nearly a third of the parish were still local born and bred in 1911, the extent of those from elsewhere gives this quiet, predominantly rural parish a very cosmopolitan feel. <coughs> and here, when we convert it into just taking people born from Yapton with those born from outside of Yapton, we can see a very, very clear trend in that there are a lot of external influences. People are moving into, into the parish as the proportion of those who were born and bred in the parish is declining. 
Although nearly a third of the parish was still local born and bred by 1911, <coughs> the extent of those from elsewhere had grown considerably to the point where at the 1911 census there were 26 other English or Welsh counties represented in terms of people's origins. And of the 185 households enumerated at the 1911 census, there were only seven where all the occupants were local born in Yapton. Every other household had somebody who was from elsewhere. However, it's not just the case that people moved from outside into Yapton, the people from Yapton were also moving out. And this next diagram that I will show you will illustrate that quite clearly. We can track and quantify some of those who moved away, particularly those who moved to elsewhere in the Sussex coastal plain parishes. An unknown number would have moved away from the immediate area to wider parts of Sussex or beyond. Without analysing every community enumerated at each census and also the immigration records, it would be an impossible task to quantify the wider migration habits of the Yapton born. However, we do know that in the early 1830s, at a time of social unrest and economic hardship, Several families were given assisted passages to North America and to Australia through a scheme sponsored by Lord Egremont and administered by the Petworth Emigration Committee. Others found themselves outside of the parish for other reasons. Again, for hardship. Um, and in the 1851 census, there were 13 Yapton born who were enumerated at the West Hampton Union Workhouse, Yapton coming within that union area. This steadily declined to four by the time of the 1891 census, and no one in the workhouse from Yapton was recorded in the 1901 census. So this diagram shows the ebb and flow that alternates, but with a general declining trend as those from Yapton tend to increasingly live elsewhere on the coastal plain. So, our picture here, uh, blue represents Yapton born, uh, early part of the century, 1851, 61, 71. There are more people born in Yapton who are living in Yapton that are living elsewhere on the coastal plain of Sussex. But gradually this changes and by 1901, there are more people who were born in Yapton who are living elsewhere than are living in the parish itself. The extent of migratory trends is, is very apparent. And in this, this last diagram I'm going to show you, it shows the coastal plain parishes. Uh, at the top, 1841, 71, and at the bottom, 1901. And this is the coastal plain of Sussex. At this end we have Brighton and Hove, at the other end we have Hampshire, and to sort of give you a geographical fix, this peninsula at the bottom is Selsey Bill. Okay. 
So this shows all of the parishes, all not quite all 54, because there are lots of small parishes within the city of Chichester. But essentially that's every parish. And the top schematic shows the density of population for people that were from outside of Sussex. And in most cases, they are white, which means that they represented less than 14% of the parish population. The lighter grey represents up to 28%. And I have in the top diagram put a Y, not particularly clear, but you can just see where Yapton is there. Yapton is that particular parish. As the century rolls on, you'll see that the images get darker to the point that by 1901 there are only three parishes where the population is made up of individuals from outside of Sussex that still remains less than 14%. In some cases, in a very dark colour, the population is over 45% made up of people from elsewhere. So you have a great sense of social movement and social change over the period of the census, 41, 71 and 01. I suppose an obvious question to ask is why does this matter? The answer is twofold. Firstly, it highlights and quantifies the extent to which it became more prevalent for people to become more mobile and to move from their origins of birth. People have always moved, but the vast proportion of the population did not. Many born, living and dying within their parish of origin before the 19th century. The railway brought the opportunity to travel more easily and to be able to move on a permanent basis. The momentum of population movement, once established, has not diminished. In this respect, Yapton is not unique, and many parishes on the Sussex coastal plain reflect similar patterns of demographic change in their population. Not only did the population grow, but its composition of origins became much more diverse. The railway did not greatly affect the parish of Yapton, partly due to its location of the station a mile outside of the village and also because of the limited level of service. For example, in 1853, there were two up trains and two down trains during the week, and on a Sunday, there were two down trains and three up trains that stopped at Yapson. Like so many other communities with stations some distance from the central population, growth and influence was minimal compared to those who had a station centrally located and with a much higher level of service. The second aspect is that for communities that were predominantly local born and bred, the influence of external factors would have been very limited. However, as more people moved into locally dominated communities, so they would have been influenced by new ideas, customs, practices, even variations of language and phrases from other parts of the country or indeed beyond. 
example of John Sparks and his agricultural engineering business is one example. Uh, and I think a point to make here is that communities are essentially, as the geographer Doreen Massey refers to, that communities are essentially thrown together. They are a melting pot of ideas, practices and interactions between the members of the community with which they are involved with and also the place with which they live, thus bringing us back to where we began and the importance of the physical characteristics of the landscape that shaped the lives of past communities. Whilst this short exploration of two specific elements of the documentscape has shown that much, much more can be revealed than just the names and events that are recorded in them. To know about our ancestors is one thing, to know about the context in which they lived is quite another. Context helps to provide that richness of understanding. It is very apparent from these two sources that the movement of people increased significantly during the 19th century. The local born and bred element of the parish population declined due in part to the growing influence of people born elsewhere and to the increasing number of locals who moved away to other parishes on the coastal plain and beyond. It was a pattern replicated in many communities and as we have seen from this very, very small example here today that Yapton is no exception. Thank you very much. This talk was recorded on the 29th of August 2013 at the National Archives, Kew. This talk was sponsored by the Friends of the National Archives. This podcast is copyright at the National Archives. All rights reserved. <laughs>